Hello, hello. You're listening to Near Distant, a podcast about a near distant future we might actually want to live in. And today's guest is Marissa Floro. She's a sex therapist. She's a foodie. She's a lover of Lisa Frank. And she's got some great ideas for creating a future that we might actually love and find deeply fulfilling. So I hope you'll enjoy. Budget. Um, Marissa Floro, mm. what's going on? Mm. Um, well, obviously, um, I'm wearing my Lisa Frank sweatshirt um, in honor of this podcast being recorded. Um, and I wanted to make sure to say it because people can't see it, um, which is why I asked you earlier if this was because vi- this is me being cute. So I just wanted to be clear. And it's cute, but I did tell you it's it's strictly visual. I mean, strictly pod. Oh my god! <laughs> and, hence why I just want. Yeah, I just want the I just want the listeners to just like get. I want them to know that I'm I want wearing the viewers it. to hear what you're wearing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, I'm gonna ask you what I ask probably almost everyone who comes on this podcast to introduce yourself as a if I don't know you already okay um then I shall um first of all I am deeply honored to be here um as your guest on your podcast so I wanted to make sure to say that um I am Marissa Floro I use she her pronouns um I We'll do the fun stuff first and then I guess how I would like professionally introduce myself after. Okay. Um, I live in San Francisco. I'm from the Bay Area originally, but it took like 10 years to get home uh, through graduate school. But I am happy to be back. Um, And living in San Francisco has been like a 16-year-old dream of mine. So this is like, you know, dreams come true. Mm -hmm. Um, And the things that I like to do, I really, really like to eat. And I feel like a lot of people say that, but I mean it. I eat like five times the amount like a normal sane person would um, because of how much I like to eat. I like plan my life around it. I plan vacations around it. Mm -hmm. I go bankrupt, you know, and, you know, for the sake of eating. Um, So I'm committed and I just wanted you to know that your listeners know that it's a big part of my life. Um, wait, then I have to ask you really quick. Uh, yeah. What's the best meal you've had recently? Oh my God. My best meal. Um, well, don't judge me, but I, I was in Honolulu this past weekend as, you know, a colonizer, which is a topic for another uh, podcast, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, though, I feel deeply guilty about going, I did have an amazing meal at a place called Bar Maze, which is the new a new restaurant of this bar that we love called Bar Leather Apron. They're actually doing a takeover of a bar in San Francisco in a couple of weeks, if you're Ooh. interested. Um, yeah, and their their bar like just um, space is beautiful, and like their service is beautiful. Their drinks are amazing, and so we thought we would hit up their restaurant, and it was it's a it's like an omakase but with a drink pairing with each course. So it was four, mm. yeah, it was four courses with like a little, um, beginner kind of s- snack, but the snack was like an oyster with caviar and like a cured salmon on top of a, I know. So I was like, wow, wow. 
an amazing starter. Um, and yeah, and everything was just really beautifully like constructed and it did go great with like each cocktail. And it was so good that even though I love eating, I do have particular preferences, which is annoying. Like I can't eat dairy, which I fucking hate. Um, and I don't eat fruit, which I don't hate, but cause it's always been like that, but it does kind of restrict mm-hmm. me. But even then, even with everything that was in there, I got over it and it was delicious. And it was, yeah, definitely one of the best meals I've had in a long time. Okay. Finally got away. Um, I don't have any plans to be in Honolulu, but maybe we can go to that little, that takeover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's like all people really need to know about you, but I also know that you do other things um, in addition to, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is honestly the most um, important part, but um, in addition to eating, I like to like do some drawing. I love reading. Um, I like doing dumb little shit with my friends, like having like a Bridgerton tea party, for example, stuff like that. Um, and then professionally, I guess what I get paid to do, um, I am right now one of the interim directors of this health initiative at Stanford University is called the Wyland Health Initiative. And basically, we are a counseling center on Stanford's campus for queer, trans, and non-binary folks. So we provide individual therapy, group therapy, um, group programming, outreach stuff, lots of education. We train clinicians on campus as well as at the um, at Stanford Hospital. I also teach a couple classes for Stanford and the hospital. Um, all focused on queerness, on wellness, on reproductive health. Um, and uh, yeah, I also teach a couple classes for the University of San Francisco in one of their master's programs for clinicians and training. And I also, my classes um, also focus on sexuality and gender, as well as kind of like clinical supervision as folks like kind of start their first internships as clinicians. Um in addition to that, maybe you can tell I'm a little bit of an overachiever kind of like in recovery and I'm like constantly relapsing. Um, but I also, I'm currently in a couple of writing projects. So I, I, I write like for textbooks. Uh, um, uh, and so like currently writing a couple of chapters for a book focused on queer Asian Americans, which I'm actually very proud of and excited about. And then I'm also getting my 500 hour yoga certification. I think you're certified too, or trained. I don't know if you're certified, I'm, but trained. I'm a certified girly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, mistake, my mistake. So, um, so, but I will say it, it was 200 hours, not 500, but I feel like I've done enough um, workshops and et cetera after that initial 200 to maybe add up. I, I would imagine I did a 200 and now I'm doing a 300 to make the 500, but with the same educators. And I don't know what the, what I was thinking. I was like, oh yeah, that'll be done by 2022. 300 hours is like a lot of hours. Like I just didn't even, didn't even bother to do the math on that one. But yeah, so those are the, some of the things that I also do professionally. (laughs) Some might say that you're booked and busy. Some might, some might say that. Some, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yet you still manage to eat. I love that. It's called balance. Yeah. 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 Balance. I've heard of it. Yeah. I experience it. I don't know. I'm also always relapsing. Yeah. Things. Um, okay. Let's talk about the near where this is a podcast called near distant. So I want to hear about the near, the now what's happening before we get into the, the distant future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what are you mm-hmm. for right now? What are you thinking about? 
Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, I didn't mean to like not mention this, but I'm also on a journey to get like this official certification to be a sex therapist. So I already do sex therapy, but I want the certification because I have a problem. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to kind of like do, there's like different parts of the certification where I get to learn more about sexuality and sex and intimacy um, and how to help folks. Um, and so I'm really, I'm, I am really excited to deepen my work that I do around sex and intimacy in particular, just because it's not a training that a lot of clinicians at any level really get, like you really have to seek out the specialization, um, which I have in my graduate work. So I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about that. As I mentioned, I'm excited about the book project, um, book chapter projects that I have um, in the works. Um, I also, on a more kind of like mental health note. Um, I've been really, really trying to take care of myself, uh, which is revolutionary, right? No. Um, but actually, like, I've been really trying in the past couple months to put my mental health first. And I am just shocked that it's working, um, that I do feel better and I feel more agentic. And so I'm excited to continue that and to maybe make more... Um, courageous steps in kind of like that process. So I guess it could be more specific because that sounds really vague, but I know I'm kind of loving the vagueness, but I also, <laughs> have, um, I have like, I have some follow-up questions. Like what does it mean to be a sex therapist and like, how, um, have you sought out training in that regard? Yeah. So a sex therapist is a therapist who talks about sex. Um, da da da, but specifically like that folks will go to, to, if they are having, you know, any type of sexual dysfunctions or difficulties, either like solo or with partners. Um, so they could be anything from like someone like, you know, has trouble exploring like their own sexuality or is excited to explore their sexuality. And that could be along lots of different dimensions. Um, it could be like a couple or part, just partners of any like number of people, um, partnerships of any number of people having some issues. Um, it could be folks having, you know, like relationship issues too, in addition to sex. Um, sometimes people go to sex therapists to also like work on some out of control behaviors. Um, so the lots of different stuff. And honestly, most therapists do some flavors of sex therapy, but a sex therapist like really focuses on some of those things. Mm -hmm. And again, as I said, because not folks just don't get that training. And so um, sex therapists who specialize, like they really make sure to provide that um, space for clients. And it's like the certification, like I don't need it because sex therapy as a field is, it's not that it's new, but trying to like regulate it is kind of new. So this certification kind of helps me tell other professionals and some clients that I've done the, it's going to be like a two and a half year um, process that I've done the process um, to kind of make sure that the folks who I serve know that I, I, I care and that I've done a lot of work around some of these things. Um, and what it has looked like up to this point, um, I go to conferences, I go to certain trainings, I like seek out consultation, I make sure to get clients who are having some of these issues that I talked about to get the practice. Um, so it's anything from, you know, helping folks with, you know, like arousal issues, like, so whether it's like an anatomical or whether it's psychological and, and us kind of like seeing that overlap and working on some different strategies to help that. Um, a lot of the work that I do at Stanford counts as sex therapy because I help folks like in their gender and sexual orientation journeys. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I also help folks who identify as kinky, as poly, um, which also kind of like is typically kind of sorted under the realm of sex therapy. So I've also had training in that. Yeah. Big umbrella. Yeah. Um, yeah. A big yeah, sex umbrella. Yeah. Sounds hot. <laughs> um, I recently read the book, Come As You Are, mm-hmm. and it was kind of profound. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, I I personally love that book. Um I think it I think it is profound and I think unfortunately so little of like sex and sexuality research and mainstream media like focuses on folks who have been socialized as female like focusing on their pleasure and ways in which to think about pleasure. Um maybe you've read already but the book um Pleasure Activism by mm-hmm. Adrienne Marie Thoron. Yeah, I, I love that book. And I've been trying to kind of like really use that book and Come As You Are um, as kind of foundational pieces actually in some of the work that I do in teaching like clinicians. Um, so yeah, oh my God, I love that. We can talk about it, but we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, before, um, when we were doing our little prep talk, one thing that I um, made note of is that you were kind of thinking about things that theoretically bring joy versus things that actually bring joy. And yeah. I feel like this kind of falls in the realm. Like when I think about sex, I think like quote unquote theoretically or more like normatively, like under this this heteropatriarchy, there are things that are supposed to be joyful, but they're not mm-hmm. in practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I know we're on a time budget, but I could go off about <laughs> Some of these things. Yeah. I think that like the ways in which sex in particular is like literally marketed like under capitalism to young folks and especially like young femme folks, I think is just, it's like a total ripoff. And I think that um, a lot of the ways in which sex is talked about in mainstream media, in, in pop culture, in culture, in families or not in families, I think really does a disservice to the ways in which sex could be an avenue of pleasure and then thus an avenue of joy. And as Adrienne Marie Brown would say, then an avenue towards liberation. So I think that there are so many disconnects between what sex is sold, literally sold to us as, but what sex could be as individuals and as people who have sex with others. Um, And I think the fact that sex and pleasure are not discussed in tandem, I think is to your point that People could be having and do have like a shit ton of sex and maybe don't have a lot of pleasure and joy. Yeah. Um, so I think that like, yeah, I'll stop myself there, but I, I could talk about that a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it probably at that point I should be paying you to be talking about it. But. <laughs> um, we can talk about my rate later. Uh, this one's <laughs> pro bono. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> intro call. Um, yeah, I feel like the other thing too that kind of um I wanted to revisit, you were talking about being an overachiever and kind of constantly relapsing and you've been <laughs> really prioritizing your mental health now. Like how are you how are you doing that? <laughs> well, uh, so I think yeah, I think those two things like don't go great together, but I will say at least the things that I have, I've worked really hard on saying no, because it turns out you can say no. And I, I just found that out like a year ago to you. I'm like, I'm learning that too. Yeah. Very new um, idea to me. So I, I think 
I think part of like focusing on my mental health has been saying no, like saying no to other people and sometimes saying no to myself, which is the hardest one, to be honest. Uh, but um, I think at least the ways in which that I've been <laughs> relapsing in the overachiever realm recently, at least like they're, they're like, like deep in like intuitive yeses. So all of the things that I have said yes to in while definitely on this, well, not even on the surface, but like while they are maybe more work than I need to be doing right now, they are all things that I, I, I'm excited about. And to get to go back to what you said about like theoretical joy versus actual joy. Some of the things that I continue to do theoretically I'm passionate about and like really care about. And I, I do get kind of worked up, you know, and I, I like that. But I think what's been difficult about like where my mental health has been in the past couple of years is that that joy has become more theoretical. And I've ju I'm just kind of waiting for some of the actual joy to come back. Um, and I don't want to give up something just because like my mental health is not where it was. And so I'm also trying, even that paradigm, I'm also trying to get rid of that. Like if something isn't serving me, even if on paper it's supposed to, that I should maybe just take a break from it. So I, I try to give myself that permission um, to say no or to stop something. I haven't done it yet, but I'm like trying to, um, as I'm continuing to say yes to new things and trying to remind myself, I can say no to old things too, but that's like a work in progress for sure. Yeah. I feel like there's something even just about giving yourself permission to have the option to say no is sometimes like enough because yeah, like the agency comes back online. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. There's maybe such a thing as free will and I'm not <laughs> destined to just like burn myself out completely. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. I mean, every, every time the I, yeah, I, I I try to feel like, especially I I don't I don't know where your mental health is right now, but I think where where the ways in which like mine has focused, where it, it has gotten so much better, but where there's a little bit of kind of stuckness around this idea of that like life is happening to me versus like I am empowered and I'm making all of these choices about my life and I'm steering it in a direction. I think sometimes I think sometimes like. Uh, honestly, like reminding myself of like my free will and I'm not just kind of assigned to the roles that I play, the things that I do, the things that I say and how I act. I think it's something that is actually one of the next steps for me is to, to really think about that. Um, and it ties into thinking about the future too, but let's talk about it. Let's talk okay. about the future. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Um, we can talk about the near distant future, the distant distant future, but kind of want to spend some time thinking about like, what is a future that you want to live in? Like actually. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about this ever since we kind of like chatted before and I was thinking, okay, if I were to actually seriously answer this question, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do like professionally, but a lot of the work that I, I'm doing on hope trying to do on myself personally, all kind of like solutions or answers or pathways, like lead back to the idea of connection. Um, it's why I became a psychologist. It's why I serve communities that I'm a part of. Um, it's why I came back to the Bay area. I mean, there's just so many reasons why, and like 
ways in which connection has been pretty core to all of a lot of my choices and who I am. But I think unfortunately in the past couple of years, I have like lost, lost that um, connection to that value of connection. So I've, I've, I feel disconnected. And I think about a lot of the things that I've been reading right now. So I'm like finally getting around to reading pedagogy of the oppressed and, mm-hmm. um, and, and even pleasure activism that I've now mentioned like a billion times, like a lot of like these like really radical, radical justice and community justice oriented works, um, like really focus on love and connection as a kind of like salve to modern day problems, like, and individualism and separation caused by capitalism. And I feel like while that's like really lofty and I believe in that, I really do believe that that is also the case in my personal life. I'm also reading the Bhagavad Gita finally. And um, all of these things kind of just come back to connection and love, not only for oneself, but like love for humanity and the earth. And I think my next like courageous step is to really choose that and to choose it with intention every day. So a future that I would like to live in is a future where people, they, they're prioritizing connection over achievement or money, or even maybe like comfort, um, and, and making, making choices about feeling more connected to one another and the earth, um, instead of kind of like, like I have done in the past couple of years, kind of creating this little bubble that protects me from having to connect to other people. Um, I think I should, I, in thinking about what I wanted to say, I also wanted to make sure to say that I think a lot of the reasons that, or a lot of the things that are hurting the people I serve, so queer and trans people, like anti-trans legislation and like hate crimes against drag queens and drag performers and gay clubs, um, like communities that I very much care about, I mean, is all because of a disconnection and like a lack of love. Um, and that is just like perpetuated by a lot of different things. And so I think I don't, I don't, I don't mean for this to sound reductive of like love will like heal all. (laughs) I don't, Mm -hmm. I really, really don't mean that, but I, I do think that there is something about like, like creating connection, like cultivating it and continuing to choose it every day, I think is pretty radical. Um, And it's difficult to do. And I think that that's where I'd like to head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like, um, as you were talking, it, it just made me think about how you're prioritizing your mental, your mental health right now, like, and like the connection to self. Um, like there's a lot of work that needs to be done when we've been living in a society that just has sought to disconnect, like the core part of our being. I don't know. I feel like I, I don't want to sound like a Pink Floyd song or something, but being like little soldiers or like little gears in a machine, you know what I mean? But thousand percent under capitalism, are we allowed to like actually be connected with ourselves and choose like, mm, I feel like going for a hike today. I don't feel like going into the office. Not always. Or like, if you are, you're like in a place of like huge privilege because it yeah. isn't going to impact your ability to like have a roof over your head or eat. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I feel like it's hard to like, have a connection with yourself. I also, um, am doing a little yoga training myself right now it's sort of like a combo Chinese medicine yoga. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we were learning over the weekend about, um, like meridians and kind of the different characteristics of like different organs. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was very interesting to like, 
have conversations about like, okay, your liver's here. And also there's like an acupressure point for the liver, like in your hand (laughs) and like pushing on that can like move around, like whatever's happening in the liver and giving like your organs sort of like a spirit body, um, in Western medicine, like that doesn't exist at all. But I think like, that's just like another example, example of like the disconnect from like the self or like the disconnect from like the spiritual self, the different types of like bodies. And I think that comes up a lot in yoga too, like the subtle body, like the quote unquote gross body, the material body. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's something that I've been doing or like been on a, a work in progress with a journey, quote unquote, mm-hmm. ever since I started yoga. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think that like, uh, same, I feel like I've, I've been doing yoga since college, but like very much just like asanas are like very like commercialized versions. And then until my own yoga training, like didn't really, like I never really bothered to like think about my body outside of like literally my body and not that like it is a part of me versus it's just something that I control. I mean, just the ways in which you articulated that I think is so real. And it has taken me like as as a whole adult to even begin to think about connecting to myself in a way that isn't just to kind of connect into like indulgence and then to step back out again or to like push past pain or push past like discomfort and just like move always forward and like bringing dragging my body along with me and maybe this comes with age like you know I don't know or maybe this comes with uh realizing one is mortal but I I yeah, that is something that I'm like very indebted to yoga in that during COVID, it was one of my only kind of consistent grounding spaces and mm-hmm. um, connecting to my body, which has been really difficult. I think connecting to the self includes connecting to things that don't feel good, um, but is like very part, like very much part of like ourselves. And that's been hard, but it's been it still is hard, but, um, but I think it's so important. And I think you're right. I think that there's so many things that keep us from these different parts of our full selves. Mm-hmm. It's stressful. So, so, it's so stressful. So yeah. In the near distant future, I mean, like, what do you, what do you think are some ways people can find connection with themselves mm-hmm. and others? Well, I mean, I guess I can only speak for myself. I think that like, when I think of the the ways in which I want to, when I think of connection and how I think of how I can embody it to move towards that, like I, I am so guilty of like making up stories about myself and making up stories about other people and just believing them and not even realizing I've done that. And I think like to actually lean into connection would be to connect with the self and to think of like, what story have I been spinning for five minutes? And I haven't even like noticed or realized and pausing, giving myself some space and really just like connecting to whoever it is that I'm like making a story about, whether it's myself or somebody else and giving us an opportunity to like connect. And I think when I think about that, when I think of how that might look with like my parents or my sister or my friends or people that I don't like or something like that. I mean, it just sounds like a fuck ton of work. Um, but I think that that is kind of what it it takes that like, even though I don't want to have a, like this conversation, it will bring us closer. And even though I will feel uncomfortable and I will get really sweaty and it will take 20 minutes, it will give us an opportunity to be closer. And I think 
that is what I'm going to be trying to do is like, just like noticing the discomfort and just trying to like keep it to the side or at least just hold it and manage it while knowing that my priority is to connect. My priority is not to be comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that is something that I I will be doing and maybe could help for other folks. Um, I think at least in COVID and also in like my mental health kind of like dip, that comfort um, became much more important. And so I'm not going to shame myself for that because I think that's what I needed, but now I'm feeling better. I think that I can like handle a little bit more discomfort for the sake of connection. I feel like I'm going off topic. No, no. I feel like I'm here. Like the wheels are turning. I'm also like dealing with like my perfectionism of like, uh, we are a lot on a limited time because of my zoom snafu. Uh, <laughs> shout out to zoom. If you want to sponsor me, I don't want to pay $150 a year to use you twice a month. Um, if anyone's listening, um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking about like, um, the fact that burnout is so easy. And I think, um, for over like the past couple of years, um, being a high achiever, um, some might say, um, a perfectionist perfectionism has definitely been with me for my entire life. Um, which is something like I'm working on, but, um, I think it's really easy to like burn out, um, when you're like disconnected from yourself. And I think like a lot of times, like these little carrots are held out in front of us in terms of like achievement or recognition and like, yeah, you can just like spin out trying to like achieve like an externally set goal. Um, yeah. So I think like, I've been thinking about that too. And also like on the note of, of having hard conversations and being uncomfortable, I think like once you have some other supports, it's easy to be with your discomfort. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was listening to, um, a little pod, um, called hidden brain. Shankar Vidavdam. And um his guest was talking about fear and fear just like being like an emotion that like is with him. Um it doesn't go away, it doesn't have to go away, but it's like you're gonna have to do this hard thing. And you can either like let the like fear dictate what that is, or you can just like let it be a helper and it's there. Mm-hmm. And that's like a lot easier said than done, but it it does come with practice. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely something that I'm working on too, that a lot of like what some deep, deep things that have always, (laughs) that I've been working on for a long time, mental health stuff aside, I think really does come down to fear and being kind of ruled by it, not kind of seeing it as like a companion or just like a, like another emotion that kind of sits in the car ride of life. Um, So yeah, I, I love that you said that because I think in addition to discomfort, I think fear really gets in the way, at least for me, of maybe making new connections or putting myself out there to like make connections that I've always wanted. Um, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Um, I have to ask you, if you could do like a, a little snap of the fingers and everyone in the world did one or two tangible things actions um to be part of this future of connection um what would that be mm-hmm. i mean on, honestly 
it's a, I feel like it's so silly because I feel like this like message has been spread for a long, maybe this is why this message has been spread so often for so long, but like to make a new friend who isn't already in your social network or someone who you would naturally either because of like race or socioeconomic class, like normally somebody who you would befriend. And I feel like that is important because of everything we just discussed about kind of overcoming discomfort and fear. And I think it allows people to make connections that are like beyond some of those identity pieces and shows that connection is possible. And I mean, I also happen to know as someone who studied like the intersections of race, gender, and attraction in grad school, that like that is one of the primary ways in which people are able to fight their own internalized stereotypes about themselves and other folks is through connecting with people, just like having at least one friend of a group that you hold some stereotypic belief around begins to kind of break down some of that stereotype that that you hold or some of that implicit bias that you hold. So that is like literally how people are able to one friend at a time kind of like break down like oppressive systems of like racism and um, sexism. Um, so that's what I would want. I would want people, including myself, I would want us to all make one new friend with authenticity and vulnerability and like with, um, with, with without fear, or I guess we can't do things without fear, but at least like trying to move past that fear or whatever that guess on hidden brain said yeah yeah I think just like knowing that fear or discomfort is with you and you can still move forward it doesn't have to be like a blocker Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that making new friends (laughs) I'll do my best um (laughs) I guess maybe I would amend that and just say that like I think that could also include like deepening relationships that we already have I think that um, especially for certain like subsects of our community that like some people might not have any friends or some people have friends that they don't feel like they can share like vulnerable things with. And so I think vulnerability is absolutely a part of connection. Um, like, you know, you know, you can cite all of Brene Brown's work here, but like, yeah, I I think that that's a big part of it. Like connection kind of necessitates risk-taking. Um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. no concluding sentence there just a thought yeah I love it yeah I feel like it's like okay like part one make a new friend and then part two would be if you want to deepen the connections you already have you might have to have some uncomfortable conversations but that will ultimately bring you closer exactly thank you mm. okay sadly I see our scary zoom clock it's ticking yeah that's rough I'm like you know, I'm sweaty. I'm sweaty in the armpit because I'm just like watching that time. <laughs> Honestly, me too. And it says on my side, it says upgrade. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> At least right now. Um, okay. Are there any, um, I've got two questions. Okay. So in closing, um, if you could hear anyone in the world talk about the near distant future, who would it be? Um, I mean, if this is like some, like a magical question, um, I know Audre Lorde is dead, but I would like to hear, cause she was so, I don't even know ahead of her time. I think she was like right on time. I, but I, I just think her words have been so powerful and continue to impact me. And I think that she saw the world in a way that is very much aligned with the idea of connection, or she says like the uses of the erotic. And so I'd love to hear like what she continues to 
if she were alive, what would she continue to think about the future? Um, yeah, I mean, she's the first person. Perfect. The only person. Yeah. First person. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, is there anywhere you want to be found online or projects that you want to plug? <laughs> Dare you? I was like, not, uh, I was not prepared for that question. Um, I guess people could find if they, don't they, have to. they don't have to, I guess like on the professional end, if you had, if you wanted some like really basic resources for like queer stuff. So like, uh, like little cards about pronouns or little cards about uh, like different kinds of attraction that's on, um, I made those it's on my, um, workplaces site. It's if you just Google Wyland W E I L A N D and Stanford will pop right up. Um, and that's on the resources page. So a lot of things that is just there for the public in terms of like raising awareness around queerness and identity. Um, my friend, um, Dr. Stephanie Wong, uh, another counseling psychologist, she and I actually have an Instagram account called Psych for the People, where she does literally 90% of the labor. I only do the graphics, but, and I sometimes do some shit, but like some of my stuff is on there. Like there's a guide of like fighting anti-blackness within AAPI communities, as well as a website that I created for Stanford that fights hate kind of across multiple interlocking oppressive systems. And she also does amazing, like um, she makes these Instagram posts that um, really like succinctly instead of what I'm doing, but succinctly kind of like briefs um, these like psychological ideas around um, anti-racism work, allyship, and then some self-soothing. So that's on Instagram, psych for the people. Um, that's it. That's good enough. That's great. It's perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for making time today um, and coming in your Lisa Frank finest. Um, thank you to the viewers um, <laughs> for enjoying it with me. And yeah, until next time. Thank you for having me on. I'm deeply honored.